Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Okay, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, almost here, round the corner technology. Today, I've got a very interesting guest, uh, Simon Fried, Chief Business Officer with Nano Dimension, a 3D printing company that uh, appears to utilize a very different and unique type of technology to do the 3D printing. Uh, welcome, Simon. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Richard. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Doing fine. Thanks. Yeah. First question, where uh, where is Nano Dimension located? So the company is based uh, in Israel, about uh, 20 minutes outside of outside of Tel Aviv. So we can see the beach, but it's far away enough that we can't actually use it, which is uh, great for keeping oh. people uh, working on developing. That's funny. Yeah, what's, what's the market like in Israel? I know in the U.S., 3D printing is big. and um, Are there a lot of companies that do it in Israel, or is it... Uh, Still pretty small there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, Israel is a bit of a, a bit of a center of development for for 3D printing. I think many of the yeah. the, the early companies, and certainly many of the early uh, commercially successful 3D printing systems, were were coming out were coming out of Israel. Certainly, um, some people may remember uh, a company called Object, which is now. Uh, Merged with Stratasys, which is really the, the market leader at the moment. So wow. many, many technologies were, were developed, uh, you know, pretty close to where our office is based. Okay, that's great. So what what's different about um, nano dimen- nano dimensions method of 3D printing versus um, other companies in the market? What's unique about it? Well, the you know, the, <clears throat> the bottom line of, of 3D printing or additive manufacturing is the idea that you're pretty much building an object out of very, very thin layers of material, and you ultimately, bit by bit, create you know, create an object that is able to have you know, any any geometry, pretty much, that, uh, that, that you know, different 3D printing technologies have pros and cons, but ultimately you can have you know, any, any shape that takes your fancy. Um, typically, 3D printing is you know, printing either in polymers or printing um, using metals. So you create a plastic object or you create a, a metal object. So these are really structural uh, or mechanical type things. And at Nano Dimension, what we're doing is we're saying you know, the, the idea of building something layer by layer is, is, is a great one, but we want to give it an extra twist. And so what we're doing is we're printing a functional object. So it's not just a structural object, but it has electrical function as well. So we're printing polymers, which have to be special polymers for electronics, and and conductive metals, uh, in our case usually silver, at one and the same time. So you basically get a 3D printer that prints polymer and metal, but these are functional uh, polymers and functional metals because they have to create a functional uh, electrical circuit. So you're you're printing workable circuits that you know once they're printed. Yep, exactly. Yep. Wow. So it's it's one of these things where you know we we all we all have 
uh, you know, electrical items all around us, and they're showing up in more and more places. And you know, in an era where everybody's talking about the Internet of Things and sensors being everywhere, you know, electronics is, is pervasive and, and becoming more so. And ultimately what that means is electronics has to start uh, developing more quickly. The development cycles need to be speeded up. There's more and more uh, product that needs to be developed and the life cycles are shortening. So the electronics engineers are really in a bit of a squeeze. You know, they've got challenges in terms of complexity that's increasing, pressures for miniaturization, pressures for um, getting costs down, and also just process of getting electronics into places that historically you wouldn't have dreamt of putting a circuit. Um, and a lot of this is going to be powered by, by wireless type stuff. So you need a lot of uh, radio frequency type work as well. So electronics needs to be able to keep pace with the, you know, the mechanical engineers. They have an idea. They've been printing that out on their, on their 3D printer pretty much the same day for a while now. The software guys, they can churn out a new version in the evening. But the electronics engineers, they're still stuck using, you know, third-party outsourcing services, even if they want to try out something that is pretty preliminary. So we want to be able to set those guys free. What about the, um, where else is your advantage? The company's called Nano Dimension. Are you printing circuits with, I mean, what's, what's the feature size on the circuits you're printing? Were they anywhere yeah, close yeah, the, to the nano the, scale? The, the nano, I, I wish, you know, I wish, I think, you know, we wish nano was the, the scale of the, of the you know, traces and, and circuits that we're printing, and I think that's, that's going to be a push. You know, we use inkjet technology, which is great for high-resolution printing, but it certainly won't, won't get down to sort of nanoscale features anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, we're with our, with our first product, the, the, the Dragonfly 2020 printer, that uh, we'll be launching commercially and actually we started delivering beta systems to, to some partners already. That's something that's really aimed at you know, three and a half mil uh, trace and space type circuits, which is um, you know not what you'd find in your iPhone 7 or in the in the latest greatest uh, you know, consumer gadget, but it's certainly the kind of trace and space that you know typical industrial circuitry is is is, is pretty comfortable using today. What about um, so? Okay, so you're playing in a space where you know these devices can be made, you know, commercially or industrially fast. Um, what's the speed at which you can make one, and the real uses, and what is it innovating and in, in rapid prototyping? Well, the, the the goal for us is just to let let the electronics engineer, you know, have an idea create a design using whichever software he, would, you know, he or she would normally be using. So you, you create your Gerber file, which is the, the universal file language of, of, the, of the printed circuit board. And in a matter of hours, or if it's a bigger, more complex thing, you know, perhaps even you know, overnight, or a bit more than that if it's really complex, you will have a workable, testable, um, solderable prototype that you can then you know, take out for a, for a test drive, essentially, to make sure that you've thought things out properly, that you haven't forgotten anything, um, and that you've designed something that's, you know, that's, that's really worth investing some time and taking further. And normally, you know, even when you speak to the guys out in, in Silicon Valley who take great pride in their professionalism, they say, look, yeah, we do the design on the computer, and then when we get around to doing the prototype, the goal is to get it right the first time. 
but you know, things being as they are, typically you know you have a second iteration, and quite often you have a third, a third cycle before you you really uh, you know you really hit the bullseye on the on the on the, on the circuit you're developing, and so it's, it also means that these guys get you know they get conservative. You have to outsource. You have to get a purchase order. You have to get uh, you know permission from your boss to to send this thing out. And if they could just test something, you know, you have a couple of ideas. Which one's better, option A or option B? You know, with a printer, you just print them. If you had to do it the old old-fashioned way, you'd probably go to safe and you know go and, and get the you know the more the more obvious, uh, maybe less innovative approach that I manufactured, just because you know the hassle of uh, of a failure of a of a prototype is is so great. You know, you pay for it in in terms of days or weeks. But with a printer, you know, it's a matter of hours or overnight. In which case, you know, you can dare to you can dare to innovate in a different way. You can work differently. You can you know, try try things out that you otherwise wouldn't have dreamt of really uh, testing. Okay. What about replacing products um, in the field? You know, for service technicians or is there anything that you make that could be used in situ to um, to replace without having to order parts, you know, replacement parts, those kinds of things? Well, it's, it's probably early days to give a, a committed answer for that. You know, officially what we're currently working on is a system that is intended for rapid prototyping. With that being said, you know, we expect that this space is going to evolve quite similarly to the way uh, you know, polymer 3D printing started out, or you know, more recently, metal 3D printing has, has also. You know, these spaces both started with prototyping, sort of early stage modeling, and then over time, you know, as the materials mature and as the design community starts to understand the opportunities better, you start to see you know, hybrid solutions or even you know, final parts being made. And I think this is going to be very similar. So at the moment, we're officially talking about prototyping. But I think exactly the same case will hold here, which is that over time, um, things that need to be replaced in the field can certainly be done. You know, can certainly be done. It might be initially that it's a quick repair, just as a stopgap, and then finally replace it with a with a traditional board. But you need things to to at least stay working until until the cavalry arrives. So it, it will probably go through that kind of a phase. At the moment, we're working towards matching as well as we can all of the IPC sort of international PCB standards and that means that you know, we're pretty much working towards having these things be suitable as end use parts. They probably won't be as straight, uh, you know, they probably won't have the same mechanical strength for example, right. at least not initially. Certainly the materials we have now don't have uh, equivalent mechanical strength but you know, they'll they'll get the job done. They might not last as long in the field, but again, you know, they'll get the job done. And you do have this advantage of being able to make something um, in pretty much any location. Can you imagine places gotcha. like you know a ship that's out at sea? If a board goes and you need to replace something, that can be a real hassle. If it's going to be a while till you get to port, especially if it's a maybe a system critical component, that means that's exactly how you would get to port. So if you had a printer on board. You, know, you could print a pass, it'll get you out of trouble. Um, and I think the current system would, would lend itself to that kind of application. And I'm sure that as materials progress, you know, we'll see better and better uh, longevity from, from materials. And, and, and I would expect you'll see sort of end-use end use parts or even you know, the, the vision that we currently have 
is one where printers get more and more complex. They have the ability to print more and more material at the same time. And so you may not just be printing a PCB, you could be printing a whole final product. Makes sense, yeah. So the um, the PCBs you print, is it just one material you're using, a blend of polymer and metal, or is it um, you're printing discrete elements to make a true like circuit board? Well, it's 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 two very you know two very discrete families of materials. So on the one side we have what we call our our ink, which basically matches traditional uh, FR4 you know traditional PCB materials in terms of its, its dielectric properties. Uh, and on the other side we're using and this is where the nano does come from. Um, we're using um, silver nanoparticle inks. So there is something we put a lot of time into developing these materials because there they really weren't any suitable off-the-shelf materials. So we had to go you know, deep, deep into the lab to develop these uh, these two ink jettable materials. On the one hand, you, know, you need very specific dielectric properties, and on the other hand, you need to get really high high conductivity out of the, the conductive ink. And so these two right. materials are printed very separately. There's one print head for each material. And when you pick up that final printed object, you know, there's, there's very um, little that you would notice that is different from the way that looks, the printed object looks, to the way a traditional uh, PCB looks, um, with, the, with ah. the slight difference being that you know, it's a bit more translucent or transparent. So you can actually see all of the traces all the way through the board. But otherwise, hmm. it's, it's very similar. And you said the mechanical strength may not be as much as a traditional PCB. Is that because mm -hmm. the, uh, the board is put down in layers, or is there another reason that um, for it? The, the, main, the main difference really is that you know, in a traditional board, the, the SR4 material is a combination of epoxy and, and, and woven glass fibers. And the one thing that is you know, impossible to print is the fibers themselves. So the fibers is, you know, are what gives the the structural uh, and reinforcement to a traditional PCB, and that's something that, that you cannot uh, you cannot trade. So, you know, we get our materials up to about half the strength of a traditional PCB, so it's, it's still fairly rugged. Um, and, you know, if you really needed to use it as an end-use part, you might agree to having, you know, double the thickness, in which case you'll then match the strength, give or take. So, there, you know, there are workarounds. And I'm sure there will be things that uh, are required when you talk about design for additive manufacturing and, and traditional additive manufacturing spaces. There are things you, you, know, you think about at the design stage, um, which are perhaps slightly different to how you'd have done it if you weren't using a, a printer to make it correct. And, and the same will hold here. So if you need that strength, you're going to have to print a slightly thicker board, um, you know, given the current materials. But there are, you know, there are, there are trade offs. Yeah, well, it makes sense. What, <clears throat> so what do you see, uh, what's the path forward for Nano Dimension the next year and then the next few years after that? Where are you guys going to be moving to uh, technology-wise? Oh, the, the, the plans are, this is, this is a, it's, it's a new technology. Uh, the materials are new. You know, the software required for it is new. Um, so it's it's you know it's only fair to say this is you know this is, this is the beginning of what I think will establish itself as you know an, another another branch of of uh, additive manufacturing and 
it's you know, our, our, our role in that, we hope, will be to um, to launch the system next year and to start uh, you know, rolling out <coughs> that that system to, to clients. At the same time, there's you know, a lot of work to be done on widening the material portfolio because 3D printing at the end of at the end of the day boils down to you know, how many material choices do I have and how good are they? You know, how much of what is needed can I cover with, with materials that are printable? And so to that end, you know, we're working on um, additional formulations. If you know somebody wants to be working on very high frequency boards, you're not going to want to use a an FR4 like material. You're going to want something that's better suited to you know high frequencies. You may want to, you know, I guess the, the holy grail here for, for this kind of area is going to be: is there a metal that one can use or a material that you can use instead of silver? And a silver is a great candidate. At the moment, it gives the best conductivity. It's the most established printable conductor, but it does have one one drawback, which is the silver is silver and it, it's pricey. So you know, we're looking into Copper inks, which are more complex, and there might be the composite inks out there, or maybe even non non metallic, maybe graphene type type materials. So all of these may come into play over the over the coming years. I think that will bring the cost of the final product down. And at the moment, it's very price competitive with prototyping, but it's certainly not a, a good solution for for low cost, um, you know, high volume manufacturing. But if one wants to start growing that batch size that makes sense to do with additive manufacturing, you know, the designers go, wow, if I could design digitally, you know, using my software, and I could then digitally print my prototype, and then even maybe the first batch or two of the final product I could even manufacture digitally, then you have you know, a really fast route um, and a very predictable route and repeatable route to, to getting those, you know, those first products out to market. So I think there'll be a real, you know, there'll be a real appetite for doing things digitally where possible. And so if one can imagine, you know, the ability to print silver where you need silver and copper where you want copper and gold where you need gold or nickel where you need nickel, etc., then okay. you know you start being able to print a lot more value into the product. And for guys who are you know, listening in and who are PCB professionals or cyber professionals, you've got the whole passive space. You know, what about resistors or inductors or capacitors? Can these be printed in? And the answer is, yeah, sure they can. You know, we're not doing it right now, not today, but it's going to come. And that's more value that you can add to that to that object. And you have the other pressures also is, you know, where do I put the components? If I could put the components inside the board and not outside, you know, that has real advantages in terms of reliability or use of space. So it's going to help yeah. with miniaturization. So that's something that we're definitely <clears throat> going to want to be touching on. Or you know, if we don't, somebody else will. So the industry, I think, is going to start looking at this in a way where it's going to help making PCBs uh, easier, certainly developing them easier, making new types of PCBs with new capabilities, you know, printing in the, the resistors could save you a ton of space. And maybe if you have and openness to the way things can really go 3D, because truly 3D for, for a circuit means actually stepping out of the, the, the concept of a PCB. You know, PCBs are basically you know, 
a combination of, of flat circuits. But if you step away from this notion, which is driven by the current manufacturing process, where everything has to be flat layers, one on the other, and you say, hang on a minute, let's go, let's go freeform. Let's have non-planar. Let's have you know, open, open geometry. I can print connects that go at an angle, or I can print spirals. And I think ultimately what we'll see is that we'll end up with printers that print an object as a usable you know, structural piece, but that contains the electronics and the components and all of the other sort of circuitry required within. So then you have this really fantastic combination of complex form and complex function, which can then, you know, if you think of spaces like automotive or aerospace, so the one thing they really want to do is save on weight and you know, do things in a more elegant way from an engineering perspective. You know, if your structural components are also part of your circuitry, that's that's a great win. So if you're okay. if you're designing a, the latest uh, smartphone, you know, today you have a smartphone which has a PCB and then it has a phone cover. So maybe your phone cover and your PCB could be one and the same. Okay. So today we're looking at printing PCBs as a 3D printer. It may well be that in the future, you know, you wouldn't want to have a PCB. You're just going to print the print the circuit in in other ways and allow the form of the end product not to be so dictated by the shape of the PCB, but by the right. shape of what is comfortable or reliable or attractive. Hmm. Um, you know, without giving away, obviously, your intellectual property, how can um, disparate materials be printed together? Don't they have to solidify and cure? And, you know, why wouldn't one melt the other or run into the uh, other? Yeah. You know, how, do you, how do you do that? Good question, and the answer is that um, you know early on in the R&D process, a lot of those things did happen. In the you know one would melt the other, or one would you know uh, set the other one alight, or that one wouldn't adhere well to the other. You know, there's all kinds of things that get very tricky when you're trying to have multi-material, high-resolution printing. Um, and where the end product has to be, you know, really, it's, it's a very binary environment. This is electronics, and you can't afford anything other than perfect every time. So you know, the, the first answer is that it's not easy. Um, and essentially, the, the route that we've taken is that essentially the two different materials, they've been developed um, together. So from the outset, they've been as much as possible engineered, the chemistry of them has been engineered so that they're compatible and they get along as well as possible. But then you also have the print process itself where you know, the polymers, we use um, UV curable polymers, so you know, they, they harden uh, <clears throat> when exposed to you know, a particular wavelength of UV, uh, and that's great because they can very rapidly take their structural shape. And on the flip side, you've got the, the nanoparticle silver, which is you know, an ink that's loaded with very, very small silver particles, and they have to be fused together to create a, a conductive trace. And it's all about how conductive you can get that trace to be. And that's something that requires another kind of you know, energy exposure. And so you know, it's right. a matter of balancing those two, having one not harm the other, and ultimately you know, treating each material in such a way as to get the functional properties out of them 
but without uh, you know without getting the the, the counter fighting material to, to to give up or crumble or you know or not or not center in the case of the server and it's really crucial those particles create a solid trace and that does put the polymer under pressure so if the polymer is tough mm. enough and I think that was one of the first things for us you know to get a, a printable polymer that has really high uh, temperature um, performance. So we have okay. you know, a, a printable uh, printable polymer, which, you know, if you, if you look at the 3D printing industry, and if you look at the inkjet printers that are printing plastics, the high mm. temperature plastics there are rated for maybe 80 degrees centigrade. So that's around... Right. Um, you know, it's kind of, I don't know Fahrenheit, but it's you know, it's it's uh, just just below boiling for water, um, and that's really not enough. So the polymer we 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 set about developing, we've now got about to um, resistances, you know, around 360 degrees uh, centigrade. So we're really you know four four times pretty much what is considered a high temperature inkjet printable polymer. So the materials have to be worked on, and the process has to be worked on, and uh, in the end, there's a lot of trial and error as well. Okay, makes sense. Um, <clears throat> I mean, just for pure speculation, what are a couple things that uh, are coming down the pike in 3D printing that you think will happen in the short term, and, you know, what are, like, one or two things that you think are fantasies, you know, at least for the next five, ten years? No, um, you know, what's reasonable, what's yeah, not? Yeah, no, I think, I think yeah, from from what we're seeing is that you know, it's the, whole, the whole industry has taken taken a shift. It's taken a beating first in the sense that you know, people thought it would be very easy. Everybody would have a printer. You're going to not just have a you know, cup of coffee in the morning, but you'll print the cup because why not? And so that, that kind of consumer end of 3D printing you know, didn't, didn't materialize, and, and you know, we wouldn't expect that that's going to be something we're seeing time soon. But what really does seem to be taking root is genuine, um, you know, industry-driven applications where, whether it's, um, you know, the, the, the fruition of, of, of metal printing in particular, where there's some really interesting applications. Some of them are you know, combined with traditional manufacturing. Some of them are 3D only, where you see, you know, real, real growth. And you know it's it's gross because the ROI on that kind of stuff for the manufacturers it just makes sense. Um, or I think you know we were just at Formnext, the uh, big 3D printing show in Frankfurt, and you see there's a real growing focus on say 3D printing of ceramics, which has great you know great potential for say the world of, of dentistry. You know get your get your crown printed in a matter of you know hours rather than having to you know, come back next week um, kind of thing right. for, for dental work. Um, and I think you know, the, the, next, you know, the next thing that's really interesting is this, this area of, of multi-material printing. Because metal is good for some things. Um, you might want to print multiple metals at the same time, or you might want to combine metals and ceramics because you want different types of um, you know, heat conductance or different kinds of uh, you know, structural capability from the materials, uh, more or less flexibility. So I think these, these are the things that are going to start opening up additional um, you know, industrial applications 
and the printers are going to get bigger and they're going to get faster. You look at the, the recent launches, HP's 3D printing technology, which again is, is certainly in terms of cost per part, you know, a step yeah. up from what the industry's been, been able to deliver before. So I think we'll, we'll keep seeing you know, the pull of general, uh, genuine industry applications and they're going to be driven by ROI, you know, how, how much of a, a cost saver is this? Or am I going to be able to print in more value and create a product that otherwise would be unmakeable? So, you know, it's, it's something that is definitely not, not a fad, and it's really bedding in. And it's, you know, ultimately it's something that has to be standing on its own two feet. And I think there's a lot of evidence out there that there's some really, really great applications that make financial sense and deliver better products. Um, what about um, intellectual property? How do you think that's going to be influenced by, you know, companies or people's ability to print things that uh, normally may be patented or, you know, restricted in some way? What What do you guess is going to happen in the next few years with that? I think until until quite recently, it's it's definitely a bit of bit of a wild west. You know, if you lose your if you lose your CAD file. Uh, and somebody decides to upload it somewhere, then there's really nothing stopping anybody from just you know, ripping you off, and, and that design IP is, is gone. So there is there is that risk. Um, but the way it seems to be panning out, um, and you know, we'll, we'll have to see if it's if it's done successfully. But there's there's no shortage of, of companies trying to solve that particular issue, and um, you know whether that's going to be something where you perhaps have uh, you know, traceability in terms of materials, um, you know, the ways of marking the materials that you use to manufacture something to be able to make uh, it possible to, to, to trace authenticity. Um, and you can have sort of uh, you know, chemical markers built into the materials. Um, you can embed, in our case, you know, you could think about embedding, say, an RFID chip with a, with a sort of unique identifying code. Um, and then as you start seeing the design files perhaps uh, moving, moving onto the cloud, I mean, ultimately this, this is going to be an industry of, of distributed manufacturing, you know, which is interconnected over the, over the cloud, allowing people to make you know, any, anything anywhere. And the kind of security that's going to be needed, you know, end-to-end encryption, keys at either end, you know, you can't print file unless you have you know unless you have the requisite code in order to manufacture it. And I think it's it's something that is that is certainly uh, gonna be solved and it's it's not overly complex. People on the other hand who you know want to put in the effort of making say a fake uh, you know a, a fake design of something or a copy and they mm. they created that as a file and then they give that file away, which it isn't you know then it's no longer controlled by the Original design uh, or designer or owner—that's uh, that's a different story. You know, the ability to put in the effort to actually reverse engineer something and then make those files publicly available—you know—more more challenging. And uh, I'm not, I'm not sure there are any particularly good answers to that to that challenge at the moment. You know, we'll probably go through a, a you know a, a Napster phase where things get uh, you know get stolen, and we'll likely end up with you know, something like a, you know, a Pandora or Spotify phase where things are somehow, you know, regulated by the market. And, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't work out that way for 
the five as well, the three B fives. Right. Okay. And then, you know, lastly, for um, for companies that have um, engineers that want to do this rapid prototyping uh, with the materials that you can create, um, how can they get in contact with you? And and then maybe a little bit more about the ideal kind of company that uh, could use your services. Yeah, I mean, certainly at, you know, at, the, at the moment, the types of companies that we're working with at this uh, this sort of beta stage is you know, typically companies that are you know heavily involved in in, in electronics that are doing a lot of uh, creative design work that really do feel that crunch of uh, you know the development cycles. I was speaking to a company in uh, in Washington last week, and they just done a bit of a calculation. The their sort of hardware guys on how much of their last 12 months they spent working, as they called it, and how much they uh, spent waiting. And they figured that in the last 12 months they probably spent about six months basically waiting for you know, various components uh, of their systems, wow. prototypes that is, uh, to arrive. And you think that's you know that's crazy. So if you're doing a lot of a lot of work. Um, that requires a lot of prototyping, and you know, that time is going to be hugely valuable to you. Um, you know, those those guys are, are very very keen on, on on the kind of solution they're bringing. And then the industries, you know, like automotive or aerospace or defense, where you know, they've got they've got some really big decisions to take. They're thinking about products that might be launched in five or even ten years time, and they see the technology coming down the road, and they need to have this. On their roadmap for how they're going to make their future products. So it's you know it's 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 any industry pretty much. Um, and the question is you know what's the value of time, and what's the value of product complexity in different organizations. And if time is is valuable to your organization, or if you know innovation and independence and, and IP security, if those things are things that that matter to you, then you know, bringing 3D printing of electronics in-house is, is going to be easily valuable. Okay, very good. And the best way to contact you is uh, just through email or website, or what, what is the best way? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd you know, recommend that people stop by the, the website, which is um, www.nano-di.com. Uh, we've got a fair bit of information there. But certainly, you know, we have a, a contact us tab there, and anybody who has a question or wants more information, we're you know, very, very happy to hear from people. Anybody who wants to um, find out more about our, our current data uh, evaluation program, you know, we'd love to hear from companies that are that are interested in in, uh, in cutting edge technology and they engage with with um, you know, rapid development of electronics. Um, and you know, we're very happy to uh, to be in touch with people. Okay, well, very good. Yeah, I appreciate your time. This has been a very uh, wide-ranging and interesting interview. So thanks for making the time. Definitely, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Richard. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.